Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here, covering everything Wisconsin athletics. And today, uh, we're going to go a little bit outside of just Wisconsin athletics. Uh, last episode we put out, uh, did our 2020 questions for the Wisconsin Badgers football team in this upcoming season. Now we're going to broaden that out a little bit and do storylines for the college football season that we are watching for. Um, so, going to be a little bit more than just Badger stuff. I know, of course, you guys are primary listening for the Badgers, but in uh, mid-July, there's not uh, a lot of Badger news to cover every day for full episodes. We wanted to broaden a little bit, talk about something different uh, and fresh for you guys. Cause I know if you're listening, to it, you're probably a big uh, college athletic fan in general, so you hopefully have interest in listening to this as well. Uh, we're going to cover some news first, but uh, before we get into that, Matt, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. little uh, morning talk is always great. Sometimes we are in the afternoons and it, and it feels like the day's kind of been wearing on, but now uh, I feel a little bit more alive in the morning. Uh, how are you doing? I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, you got the, the nice morning chat. Uh, it's like a, you know, sometimes we even go earlier in the morning uh, and we got the, the cup of coffee and the, the conversation started and it uh, Gets the day started right, for sure, for sure. So definitely a fun episode that I think uh, we both were looking forward to doing. Obviously, the last uh, episode talking about the Badgers was a lot of fun, uh, but this one I think will be just as interesting uh, to get into. Uh, but before we do that, yeah, you ready to go and cover some news of the day? Let's do this, man. Here's what's happening. All right, guys, we've got some important news to cover. Uh, of course, the big news of the day uh, which actually would have, you know, we're recording this uh, this past week when you're listening to it. Um, but the Ivy League did touch on their uh, plan for the 2020 uh, fall sports and season, uh, and they essentially canceled uh, all sports up until January 1st of 2021. So kind of a surprising uh, twist. I know a lot of people expected possibly a spring season for them, and I know they have the, the basically the clause in there to revisit that to possibly do a spring season, uh, but canceling it fully was kind of surprising. I know some people were hoping to postpone it, uh, maybe do a conference-only schedule, things like that. The Ivy League said, nope, uh, they're going to you know cancel everything till January 1, 2021. So definitely impactful news. Uh, like we mentioned the last uh, couple episodes, the Ivy League is kind of the first one to make a plan for this upcoming uh, football season in fall sports. And you think back to March Madness, they were the first ones to pull out of their conference tournament uh, and to pull out of any uh, postseason stuff with the NCAA tournament. So not saying that, you know, college football is going to follow suit. You know, like the, a lot of storylines have said, the Ivy League doesn't rely on the revenue from college football as much as some of these other programs will. So they're definitely in a different uh mind frame uh, in terms of what they're going to do. So there's not this is not by no means saying that uh, the NCAA and, and other conferences are going to follow suit, but it's still significant because it's kind of the first big decision that we've seen on this. So, Matt, what did you make of that decision by the Ivy League, and how do you think that kind of plays out going forward? 
Well, first off, that was a good summation of kind of what it was. But I think the big thing right now is is this is a domino. And, and we've seen that um, last time when it came to basketball, like you said, it, it was it was almost immediate. It was like an instant pot. Like you, your 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 pot roast was ready within minutes. That it seemed like everybody was following suit. Um, this is a little different because, like you mentioned, they have are in a very different financial situation. They don't actually go out and play anybody outside of the IVs. They only play one another. Um, they financially, it would actually be, probably be a benefit if they end up end up doing the spring because then they would be the only people out there. If, uh, in fact, college football goes off without a hitch, but but I think the it definitely is a domino that could lead to further FCS programs, um, maybe Division two, II, Division three, some um, Group of Five, Power Five teams taking a good hard look at possibly uh, shifting it. I, I think it's more likely right now that they'll that teams will kind of take us a, uh, a wait and see approach and try to. Uh, kick the ball down the field a little bit and bide some time before they have to actually make a decision. But I think it is very telling, though, that one of the premier um, conferences and in, in some of the premier institutions in the country are taking this stand and kind of getting out in front of it. Uh, a lot of teams rely upon the, the knowledge and the expertise of people uh, in some of those colleges uh, so I, I think it's it's definitely newsworthy. There's a lot to still kind of go from that, but it's definitely a a step in the wrong direction uh, if you are hoping for college football. I, I think uh, this the news half at the beginning here is probably going to be um, a little less positive just because there isn't as much um, great things going on in terms of COVID. So I think right now it's it's not a great sign, but at the same time. I do think that schools are going to kind of bide this out, try to try to wait as long as they can to before they make a decision to ultimately move things to the spring. I, I know a lot of programs and a lot of uh, athletic directors and uh, conference reps have come out and said that that's kind of a last resort. Um, as we've talked about, some of the ramifications of it aren't great. But uh, I think at this point, there's just a lot to still wait and see. But I, I would definitely see, say that the that um, if it was an instapot for the NCAA tournament where everybody followed suit, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually this the college football turns into a crockpot where it takes a little bit of time and eventually it might get to that same uh, eventual um, decision, but I, I hope not as a college football fan and as somebody who who like you like makes some of their money off of college football. So I'm really hoping that that isn't the case uh, for my pure enjoyment. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's really no one knows because it, there's not a blueprint that's laid out for how to deal with an infectious disease uh, in college football. <laughs> No, there is not, and and that was very well put. You know, not a lot of podcasts are going to be able to compare uh, the college football season to uh, cooking utensils in the kitchen, but uh, Matt did a good job. Keep coming back, baby. <laughs> That's what you guys come here for is exactly right. So, uh, you know, it was, I, I totally agree with you. It's going to be something that we're going to have to monitor, um, and I know uh, just from, from reading up on things, it looks like nobody – is is necessarily in a position to make a big decision like this. So everybody's going to wait, and you know the Ivy League is is going out and saying, okay, we've seen it, we've ran uh, the ideas, we've done everything. You know, this is what we're going to do. We don't have to worry about 
uh, these other leagues and these other things because they're in a different situation. But definitely uh, noteworthy, and like you said, not a not a step in the right direction if you're hoping for uh, college football season to kick off as you know both you and I are. I saw some uh, week one betting lines get released this morning, and I got uh, all excited. And then you know, kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, man, who knows if I'm actually ever going to get to that point? So. Uh, we'll hopefully keep our fingers crossed and, and watch over the next few weeks as next few weeks as this kind of continues to play out. It's definitely something to monitor. Uh, and going off of that, our second story, uh, not any more positive uh, on the coronavirus front. Uh, Ohio State and North Carolina, two of course, you know Ohio State, a, a blue blood powerhouse program, and UNC kind of a program on the rise. Uh, both shut down practices for their fall sports after some uh, big coronavirus testing positive uh, situations. I don't know if either school released their amount of cases that they tested positive for. I was looking for it this morning. couldn't quite find. North Carolina yeah. did. They but, did? Okay. But uh, Ohio State has refused to do so because they, they feel as though it could lead to um, – uh, people figuring out who and identifying who it was, you know, HIPAA type stuff. Right. So, um, but North Carolina did. I know they they came and said that they went ahead and it has tested 429 people, um, and that 37. Now, part of that was that the 429 is is not just um, recently. That's a, as a total. Um, so that's as of June 12th. So 37. It sounds like that the 37 were fairly recently. Um, and that it was kind of a big hit all at one time. They, they, it, the quote is a cluster of, of it. So, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, of course, we've we've talked about it a little bit. I know uh, the last time we kind of uh, had the situation, LSU and Clemson both had big spikes uh, in their testing, uh, and now it's it's more programs, and you're going to continue to see that. Uh, of course, you know, similar to you know more cases, there's more testing available, so you're going to see more cases. Uh, but there's definitely, um, you know, something to keep an eye on and monitor as we get going here because the the more these situations arise, the closer to the start of college football uh, is going to be a situation where things are going to continue to look, uh, you know, in the negative department. You know, it's not like, yeah, of course, we'd be hoping to see, you know, places getting tested, players getting tested in low uh, numbers. I know the Badgers just recently uh, had more testing and it was fairly low in terms of percentage, so that's a good thing. But a lot of these programs are, are running into issues, and as we get closer to you know fall practice starting up, uh, it's definitely going to be something to monitor because it's again you know these are voluntary workouts quote unquote uh, they're not really voluntary for for the players and the staff. So to have now probably two more weeks uh, without those further puts some programs behind if you do end up starting uh, you know in you know, late August with uh, the first week of kickoff. Yeah, I, I think it, there, it's really going to be interesting to see how uh, more and more teams react to this. I mean, you look at Wisconsin, and their most recent results were very were very good. It's under 2% of all athletes. It was overall positive. You look at Notre Dame, they came out, same thing. So you're seeing that a lot of teams are seeing kind of uh, an ebb and flow in it. You see um, some of the schools that are in closer to a hot spot are really getting hit hard and are um, struggling with that, and some of them are pausing um, activities. But then you also have schools where it seems like, well, no one wants coronavirus um, uh, breakouts on campus, that it's it's not quite as big of an issue. Uh, so 
I don't know how it's going to work. I think the way things are trending, it's it's going to be some teams might be ready to go and other teams aren't just based off of regional dynamics as well as uh, the different hotspot locations. But I, I think the the real big thing here is right now this is happening when there's not even any students on campus. What is it going to look like if there are? Because if you look at uh, – on. And, uh, on, I don't know if you've noticed online, if you go on to the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, they have a little map that you can go in and you can see where all the hotspots are uh, within each county. Um, and if you look in, in it and you zoom into just Madison, as a Madison resident, I was interested to know kind of what that looked like. And and everything is, is, is fairly um, universal, that there's not – a lot. There is a, um, pockets where there's, you know, anywhere between 100 and 250 people within out of, you know, thousands of thousands. Where, but then if you go in and you look at the some of the parts of the campus area, and there's huge areas of red where it's like not great. So yeah. I, I think I think like especially if you look at Langdon Street, it's like 900 in that little span. So so it's that's really kind of. Uh, worrisome. So I, th- I think right now uh, there's there's just so much uh, that's going on and there's so much unknown that we that we don't know because who knows what it's going to look like in six months from now, let alone uh, in two weeks. So I think, but I do think that these uh, these issues that are popping up are kind of a microcosm of everything going on in our society right now, and that I think. The big thing is that people just need to go out and try to mitigate uh, their impact so that uh, we can have football or hopefully have football. Uh, but it's it's not looking pretty right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean it might not rebound and look better in a few weeks or in a month or two months. Yeah, most definitely something to keep an eye on as we get closer and closer uh, to kickoff uh, for hopefully the college football season. All right, our last piece of news is something we're going to just touch on briefly, guys. Uh, of course, we don't know the exact parameters of the situation, uh, but maybe you guys saw on our Twitter account, Bucky's Fifth Quarter, uh, basically a tweet came out yesterday, uh, an interview uh, where lacrosse central basketball coach Todd Fergat, who said uh, Kobe King possibly won't be playing basketball this upcoming season, uh, kind of unknown situation going on with him. It came out a couple weeks ago that he was uh, not going to be playing at Nebraska. Uh, so definitely something to keep an eye on. We, of course, wish him the best. Uh, we don't know the exact parameters of what's going on in the situation, um, but uh, definitely something to monitor as a, you know, a former Badger that you know, we want to keep uh, positive thoughts uh, as he goes forward in his possible basketball career. And then there was uh, some coaching staff changes uh, for UW-Green Bay. I don't know if you saw that at all, Matt. Um, believe uh, Blank. Oh, Brevin, Brevin, Brevin Pritzel. Yeah, joined, yeah uh, so his, his, uh, his brother is joining the UW-Green Bay staff, which is, which is uh, cool for, for him. And I know that it's, it's just another connection to UW. Um, obviously, Brevin played at Wisconsin, but his brother going to be a staff member there. And, and like you said, you know, nothing but best of luck for um, Kobe King moving forward. Uh, it, it, it sounds like there's a uh, a lot to uh, to going on there, and that we're not gonna go ahead and uh, guess what's happening. But there's talk of him not playing basketball again. There's talk of um, you know not now. There's so we'll we'll see, and that's gonna be something to monitor going forward. Most definitely. 
All right, guys, that wraps up our news of the day. We're going to go ahead and uh, get our ads out of the way right now, and then we will get into our 2020 questions and storylines for the college football season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, guys, our last episode, we talked about the 2020 questions that we had for the Wisconsin football team, and today we're going to do it a little bit broader scale, and we're going to talk about college football as a whole. So it can be you know any conference, any storyline, things that you're looking forward to uh, as we're getting into July now. We're getting closer, hopefully, to practice, and again, like we said on the last episode, we're doing this assuming everything is, is starting in August, and you know the games will be starting up at uh, you know, August 28th, 29th, and that week zero. Uh, so until we hear differently, we're going to keep on trucking as if uh, we're having a season. So, Matt, I gave you the first one yesterday. So I'm going to go ahead and take the first one uh, in terms of questions. It's all yours this one, man. <laughs> um, and and the, I, I think it goes well off of our intro and news. Uh, so it's probably an obvious question. Given the COVID situation, and of course, the possibility of college football starting and, and not starting. Uh, if it does start, I just want to, you know, I, I'm curious to how big of an impact it will have on the new coaching and the new coaching staffs. You know, we talked about, I've been reading through my Athlon magazine, doing kind of, you know, team uh, previews and reading through that. And there's so many new coaches, new assistants, new systems that normally in spring football are being put in and implemented. And that is just, you know, gone. You know, you're dealing with, so many more things that you're going to have to, to monitor as you get into the season. Uh, I, I can't imagine that putting in a, a system via Zoom is the easiest thing to do, and especially for new coaches trying to form new relationships with players. And, you know, there's some schools that are, you know, a full staff rehaul. You know, you look at Michigan State basically starting from uh, starting from zero on their coaching staff in a lot of ways. So Something to obviously monitor uh, throughout the course of the season is just how big of an impact this is going to have, not only on college football as a whole, but especially on these coaches uh, with new programs and, and new staffs that way. Yeah, I, I like that one. I think that makes a lot of sense just because there that it's really an unknown, and, and it's going to be tough for, for coaches to really dive into all of this and make sure that they have everything going right away at the beginning of the season because – there is so much that goes into building a program that goes into building an offense, a defense, a special teams, a culture that uh, it's, it's really a lot of that happens in person. And right now that's not necessarily the case. And I think it's really going to be hard for some of those new coaches. You know, you look at Mel Tucker and what he's going to have to do and what he's at Michigan state and changing the identity of that that team, that program, away from what Mark D'Antonio did, I, I think it, it's really if if you're a fan of a new um, of a new coach, I think you look at it as a, a year zero, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of a lot of these situations are going to be so hard to to deal with on some of that end. So, yeah, um, I've got a couple that I can piggyback off of that with. There you but go. I'll, Let's but I'll go with uh, I'll go with uh, similarly. Um, are teams going to be less willing to venture into the coaching carousel? 
um, because of everything going on this year. Uh, we're looking at COVID kind of financially budgeting down some things. We saw Stanford just just cut a whole host of different uh, programs in their athletic department. And, you know, finances are really tight. Teams are really reliant on football and haven't necessarily been built to last without uh, football as the me- the main driver of athletics. And I, I don't know if, if teams are going to be able to say, hey, um, not going to – I don't mean to pick on Scott Frost, but I do, um, that if he's if he has another subpar season and they win three games, for example, and struggle, may, are, are fans going to be, like, grabbing their pitchforks, or are they going to be like, hey, we understand there's, there's no way we are going to be able to financially do this, or a guy like Clay Helton, if, if he, we don't see – um, a boost in what USC does when you've got the quarterback, you've got some pieces around him to, to be better and, and changes that were made. So I, I think I think that's something to also watch is not necessarily just the new coaches, but the coaches who are on the hot seat. What does that hot seat do? If Or are our teams just going to look at it as we're not going to be too risky, we're not going to ask our donors for too much in regard to – paying for buyouts when we are going to need those donors to really lean on for other things, for testing and other um, different expenses that are out there. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I I kind of didn't really think about that in terms of, you know, hot seat, things like that. Guys that maybe are on the the fence, you know, there's some situations I'm sure around college football where, you know, this is the year no matter what, but there's got to be a lot of other places where, uh, you know, if things struggle, maybe they, you know, they get a punt on this season because, not only are you going to have to battle budget cuts, but you're going to have to battle the possibility of another season starting up. You know, if they play spring football, you're going to have another season starting up pretty soon after that. So maybe uh, it, it trickles into that as well. So definitely something to watch for 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 guys that are you know maybe lukewarm, uh, you know, on the lukewarm seat. Not maybe necessarily you know Clay Helton, definitely a guy that's probably close to, if not fully, on uh, the hot seat, but. Other guys that are maybe, you know, have their toes in the water with a bad season might uh, be fully engulfed. It's going to be something interesting to watch for because, like you said, if you got buyouts, if you need to pull a new coach to a program and, and you're going to have to offer something monetary-wise to that coach to pull him away uh, from a successful, successful program. So definitely an interesting storyline that uh, I didn't even think about uh, in terms of the 2020 season. I, one thing I should add is I don't I don't know if you're if you read the athletic or or follow that, um, but Andy Staples, one of their um, primary writers, uh, he he w- went ahead and uh, did an article on force majeure clauses and how basically they're in a lot of contracts that if things like a pandemic hit or a um, unforeseen uh, circumstances happen, such as, uh, you know, a hurricane wipes out things and stuff, that they, they might be able, teams might be able to pull the rug under coaches and either fire them or not pay them. Um, so it's, it, it, that'll be another thing to, to watch uh, that I didn't, I didn't even nearly think about, but that, uh, that could be a way out for some teams like a guy like Chip Kelly, who, who if, if he has another bad year, assuming there's a football season, um, he could be another guy who, who has, like you said, dipping a toe in the lukewarm water. Yeah, most definitely going to be something to monitor. Uh, and, you know, like we've said a lot already, there's a lot of uh, moving parts in this season. If there is a season that 
uh, is going to really uh, impact college football going forward. The other one that uh, the next one that I wanted to talk about is there's a lot going on right now in terms of getting new systems put in, getting coaches familiar with players, all of that. But one thing that I think is kind of put on the back burner that coaches are going to have to talk about uh, is the new, not lax, but lessened you know, rules on your name, image, and likeness that the NCAA has kind of put in, uh, which would be starting up after this season. It, it, it's something that I think if coaches take the time to educate their players on the new rules, ins and outs of that could really benefit it. But with so much else going on, I wonder how that is going to kind of get underway when you think about all the other things that are on uh, their mind and, and on the you know forefront of, of coaches and players. That's something that's going to be important because it's going to be something that changes and uh, going to have an impact going forward. So probably a storyline that's on the back burner with everything going on, but I think definitely something uh, for coaches and players that we'll need to pay attention to and take the time to learn about, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're not being proactive now in, in getting prepared for that and are just kind of punting the, the ball down the road and hoping that it never happens, uh, you're you're not doing it right. And, and so I would assume that those are conversations that uh, teams are already having. But like you said, how much that's actually happening, who knows? And I think – uh, that's a really good point. I like that question because that wasn't one that I had thought about, but it's really something that in the in the big sphere is going to change college athletics in total. And imagine if that was kind of the case right now, how much players might want to get out there and play uh, it, to, to extend their quote-unquote brand or whatever um, to, to make things happen. Yeah, most definitely. It's going to be something to keep an eye on. You know, like you said, if you lose a season, you lose uh, some of your brand that way. So it's going to be an interesting storyline that I think uh, is is going to get maybe more attention as the season goes on if, in, in fact, we start and, and players get more recognized. All right, what do you got for your number two? Um, so you, you had made a, a good point talking about how um, coaches are trying to install and how they, that's a challenging enough thing right now. Um, because of new coaches, because of all the um, chaos going around, will defenses have an early advantage without spring practice? We, we see it oftentimes where um, in basketball teams take a little bit to get going. We see oftentimes that uh, defenses usually have uh, a little bit of an advantage at the beginning of season, uh, college football, NFL seasons. We see that pitchers usually have an advantage early on in baseball. Um, so maybe is is it going to be something to where teams on offense that is so regimented, they need to be so in sync that they maybe struggle a little bit more and there might be some overall sloppiness to the game of football that's normally not there. Um, obviously there's happenstance in football it, already. There's chance and luck that happens in it. But maybe there will be some extra sloppiness that, uh, that uh, happens. and. Um, you look at potentially a shortened fall camp that even could happen, depending upon how coronavirus is, and and really just how that might shake up things and tilt things more to a defensive end than uh, than how it has been here recently, which has been you know air raid and um, up tempo offenses and putting up crazy amounts of points in, in some conferences. Maybe maybe teams that are reliant on defense and have a really good defense and an offense that doesn't make mistakes. Um, are in a good spot. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you think about it, there's going to be some some sloppy, some ugly college football this season, and 
Of course, we've seen that in years past or early in the season, but you might see it uh, you know, more prevalent with you know, the, the changes and the impact of not having uh, this whole situation, you know, not being able to put in what you're, what you're doing. And you could definitely see, it'll uh, be interesting to see, you know, in, ty- in terms of points per game, if that'll be down, uh, if, you know, defensive stats will improve because offenses uh, maybe aren't clicking right away because, of course, it takes more time to put that stuff in and, and get uh, more in sync. So definitely one that, uh, you know, people should watch for if you're, you know, obviously we're going to be happy with any football, but there's there's definitely a chance that, uh, some of it's going to be a little sloppy uh, when and if this, this season kind of starts up. Oh, for sure. All right, my next one is probably another one that's kind of off the radar, uh, but I think it might have an impact going forward in college football. And I don't know if you remember, but in 2019, the Houston Cougars kind of uh, used the new redshirt rule to their advantage. If you remember Derek, Derek King after their, I think, one and three start, uh, decided, you know what, I'm going to sit out. Uh, they also had a running back and, and wide receiver kind of take advantage of that. So those guys stayed at Houston. Derek King departed to Miami. Uh, but essentially, you know, they not, not not tanked. You can't really say that they tanked, but they kind of did. You know, some of their important guys sat out, and now they're back, you know, with, uh, with a new quarterback and, and guys in the system where I think if Houston has success this year and they see that it kind of worked, I wonder how going forward, you know, college football teams will take advantage of that because you can play four games and, and keep a you know a year of eligibility. Where if you are have high expectations and things go wrong out the gate, you have some injuries, you have things like that, you want to hold guys back. It's certainly something that you know college football coaches, you know, coaches across the country uh, will take advantage of it and use it if they can. So I don't know if it'll work. It might hamper them and maybe they have a down season but if you see improvement from them it could be something where that snowballs to kind of the rest of college football yeah I like that one I think that's a a very cool way to look at it just because you know I I look at that and I think of like NCAA 14 where you Mm -hmm. like would tinker with your roster and and redshirt players just to to try to even things out or to get an extra year out of a guy Um, so I I think that's something to definitely watch I I think it's also going to be interesting to see if there is something to where, say, uh, people follow suit with what the Ivies are doing and there's a spring football, does it mean that uh, they change up kind of how redshirting works? Does, do they look at it as here's a blanket, like, redshirt year that you could play in uh, uh, more games because you're not going to have necessarily the same um, amount of depth and, you know, you might have players not being able to play because of coronavirus and other things. So. I think that's something to fascinating to watch, and I think that lends itself nicely to what you said. So I, I like that one. It was it was definitely something that people looked at what Holgerson was doing as like what it like with a question, and we'll see if that kind of pays off. So I like that. Yeah, most definitely. All right, what do you got for your next question? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, kind of sticking with. Uh, kind of how coronavirus has shifted the landscape is how many games happen and it, will there be a shift in how the schedule is even put in place? Um, a lot of people have been saying that the Big Ten and other conferences are looking at uh, a more of a regional approach where you can where you can take a bus, don't have to stay at a hotel, you can get back in time. Uh, is that kind of a way to remedy or mitigate the risks that are put in place because of COVID-19? Um, 
but then it's like, will there be instances where you have teams playing uh, nine games and some teams playing 11, or some teams only got eight games in and got other teams got in 10? So I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see if that happens or if there's a time where, like, maybe the, the season gets off without a hitch, but then there's a lull for three weeks or a two-week quarantine in the middle or something. Like, who knows? I, I think at this point – Everything's on the table just because this is such a crazy uh, time we live in To in terms of sports. I mean, who, who would have thought a, a year ago at this time that the NBA would be playing in a bubble down in Florida? So it's like it, it, who, who really knows how things will be? So I'm really inter- interested to see, first, how many games get played and is there a shift in how schedules happen? Because I could totally see a lot of SDS teams following suit with what the um, with what the Ivies do. And, you know, you look at some of the teams, Wisconsin's got an FCS team uh, on their schedule. Like, how does that shift? How does that – how do they change things with that? So it's, it's, it's interesting to see kind of how the ramifications of COVID-19 could have on the number of games and when games are played in the schedule. Yeah, and it's crazy that, you know, now we're almost to, you know, July 10th and we're we're going to be – it's getting close to where I think, you know, eventually these decisions are going to have to be made and put into place because it's not like it's going to be an easy – you know, we're going to go to uh, all – you know, of course you've got the nine games already scheduled in the Big Ten, but you can't just jump right into that. You know, you have Indiana in that opening week, things like get could push back. Indiana might have a different game. Uh, later on so it's going to be fascinating to watch and it's kind of crazy that we're still kind of in wait and see mode because eventually these decisions got to just get made and you know you got to run with a plan of some sort so definitely going to be one to watch you know I think to the Badgers schedule how does Notre Dame work they're not in a conference but nobody's going to want to have college football without a Notre Dame they're kind of in the Badgers region do they get adopted into the Big Ten for a season do they go to that who knows I mean it's going to be uh, once these decisions get made, it's going to be fascinating to watch kind of how uh, college football goes and, and how everything uh, turns out because baseball's got a weird season. Basketball's going to finish with a weird season. There's no doubt that there's going to be some sort of weirdness with this college football season in, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so definitely going to be something to watch for. Yeah, let's get weird. I, I, I'm actually <laughs> open to the, the crazier the ideas to – to make it so that it go that it happens, I'm into it as long as it happens. I just want to see sports, but I want to do it in a way that that still maintains the safety of the athletes. Most definitely, that's a great way to put it. All right, my next one uh, is kind of going off the same stuff that I've kind of uh, had focus on, but I want to see you know how will transfer players, you know, especially quarterbacks, fare this season. We've seen a lot of, especially these last couple of years, but this past off season. A lot of quarterbacks, you know, transferring and getting to new places with the transfer portal, uh, opening up new opportunities. And if these quarterbacks continue to have success, you know, you look at Justin Fields hopping up from Georgia to Ohio State, having success, a Heisman contender. If this continues to be a trend where these guys can, you know, hop around and kind of play a free agency game, it's going to be that much more prevalent and continue to happen. You know, you look at this season, Jamie Newman. JT Daniels both going to Georgia, KJ Costello going from Stanford to Mississippi State, you know, Anthony Brown going from uh, Boston College to Oregon. There's, you know, plenty of others that have hopped around that aren't maybe as big a names, but if this continues to happen can and players continue to have success 
you know, with these, you know, hopping from place to place, it's going to be something that is more prevalent in college football that I think coaches are going to look more and say, hey, you know, which kid is available that maybe had a down year that is looking for a new start or a fresh place. And uh, so I'm interested to see how that, you know, transfer free agent market kind of plays out over these next couple seasons. Yeah, that's a really good question. I I had something similar where it was basically like, who's going to be the stud new coming quarterbacks that that are mm-hmm. around come midseason? So same vein. So I like that you did that question, um, and I don't even have to use that one anymore because I think that's really something to watch with not only transfers but but also just replacements. You look at mm-hmm. some of the top teams. You've got LSU, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Michigan. You know, that's a lot of teams that have brand-new quarterbacks in, in basically the top 15 of the country, and some of them are vying for playoff berths, and they're going to be relying on transfers. They're going to be relying on, on guys who are untested. So I think that's definitely something to watch, especially when the you think of, you know, Russell Wilson is, is not the norm. He, he was kind of an outlier in, in terms of what he was able to do at Wisconsin in such a quick turnaround, whereas you've got some of these guys – they didn't have spring ball. They didn't have much that they were able to do over the summer. How ready are they and how down with the offense are they at this point, I think is, is really a good question as well. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch, you know, how some of these guys, you know, impact their teams with, with such weird situations going on. All right, what do you got for your uh, next question? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, home field advantage. Uh, so how much does it matter this season? So mm-hmm. there's – I know at, at – a long time ago, it feels like eons ago, we talked about, and I think we each put the number between like 33 and like 40% that we thought that there was a chance we would be sitting in Camp Randall for games. And it's, I would say, I don't mean to speak for you, but my confidence in that has waned a little bit. Um, but but if there is games and there's lesser fans, or if there's games but there's no fans, how much does that um, go ahead and take away some of that field of home field advantage that is built in. You know, some of the traditions and pageantry that goes with college football is so important. You've got jump around, but then you also have um, the wave. You've got different things that really um, tie people to their programs, and you you don't have you won't have the band. It sounds like so. There's a lot that goes into um, college football that isn't necessarily going to be there all the time. So. I'm wondering if that shifts some things and it kind of evens the playing field for, for teams and it really becomes more about um, being dialed in that day and maybe about talent rather than um, having that home field advantage because we know that that can have such a huge impact on a game if you're going to a whiteout at Penn State or whether or you're going to a, a national broadcast on college game day in Madison. Um, Michigan found that out pretty quickly. How that can how that can happen and it's and who knows what that game looks like if it doesn't have the hype doesn't have the juice from um, the fans from everybody involved because we talked about it last episode we talked about that Paul Christ you know essentially put his nuts on the table and was like I'm going for it I'm fourth down and does does he do that if if it's not everybody in the crowd's going bananas about it you know so I think it's it's definitely something to watch. Yeah, I like that point a lot. You know, you think about college football, the you know home field advantage and, and playing in your home stadium in front of your X number of fans. It's its impact is much more than any other sport in terms of college football. So 
that's going to be a fascinating one. You know, if you don't have the the traditions and and the people in there, you know, I don't know if you saw the video yesterday of uh, the Cubs, you know, scrimmage in game where basically they were doing it, uh, you know, as you know a live game like it would be this season. And Wilson Contreras hit a home run off Craig Kimbrell, and it was just completely silent. You know, no <laughs> no hands, no. And of course, you know, it's going to be awesome to have baseball in some capacity. But it's going to be different, and it's going to be some, you know, sometimes if you don't have fans, it's going to be kind of hard to watch. And I think of that on the college football scale, and I go, man, that would be that would be tough, you know, if you, if you bust a big run and the crowd kind of rises up with the, with the play, and all of a sudden you don't have that. How that impacts, you know, players morale and and you know, in game decisions is going to be something that uh, is definitely going to be fascinating to watch as we uh, get into the season with possibly no fans at all. Yeah, I, I I think it's definitely something to to monitor just because who really knows what where each team will be, but then you throw in that added caveat of hey, there's there's not the the fan experience at the game, and and I don't know how that would feel for players because they're they're not used to it. Even in a high school game, you've got thousands of fans in the stadium. If you went to a high school with 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 a um, a bigger following. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's going to be – it would be crazy to even think about, but it's something that is definitely kind of in the forefront of, of fans' minds as you uh, work into the season that way. All right, do you want to do – each of us do maybe one more, and then we'll call it a day? Yeah, let's do one more quick, and we'll be good. All right. My next one is kind of a two-pronged question, but I want to know, you know, with the possibility – we've talked about a conference-only schedule – how big of an impact does that have on certain conferences? You know, you look at the Big 12, they play everybody, so that maybe helps them, but who knows how many games, you, know, you don't get many conference games in that schedule, and then you look at a team like the Pac-12, struggled to get into the playoff uh, the last few seasons. How will that impact when they don't play the traditional non-conference games? You know, you look at Oregon, They've got Ohio State coming to their house. That's a huge win that you know could boost a college football type resume uh, to get into the college football playoff. So, how will a possible conference only schedule impact you know these conferences like that? The Big Ten, you go out and win the Big Ten, with, and then you'll be a one loss team and win the conference. You're probably in the playoff uh, year in and year out. But these other conferences that maybe don't have that advantage of the last few seasons and having a track record is is certainly going to be interesting to watch. And then kind of going off of that. If that happens, which non-conference game are we going to really look at and, and miss? You know, you think about Ohio State going to Oregon. You've got LSU, Texas, Alabama, USC. A lot, you know, Wisconsin, Notre Dame. You know, these games are possibly going to get scrapped. You know, and we're we're definitely going to miss out on some high-quality college football. So, uh, both of those are something that uh, I'm certainly interested in as we get into the season. Yeah, I, I like those points. I think that's really something that could shift the entire uh, college football football landscape in a lot of ways. So I, I think that's definitely something that we need to be kind of cognizant of, and I'm excited to kind of see that as well because it, it really does shift everything. Most definitely. All right, what do you got for your last question? Um, basically, I just was thinking about how will, like, natural – national and regional broadcast kind of look like. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going off the approach that there's similar to my last one with home field advantage. There's probably not going to be 90,000 fans in a, in a stadium or in Wisconsin's case, 80, 80 plus thousand fans in Camp Randall. So 
if you're going on and you're watching that game, how is the experience different? There's not going to be necessarily those cutscenes of the band, of the fans, of of some of those different things. How much more will it be impacted by, you know, Gus Johnson screaming at the top of his lungs to, to get you fired up compared to just generally the crowd and those moments that are kind of have you on edge? So I, I think that's something to watch and, and really how they are able to do it just because there are so many people that are in involved in in putting on a, a football broadcast if we're saying that hey um we can't have fans but but we're going to have you know 400 different media members in there taking care of these different uh, camera angles and cut shots in a truck outside the stadium and other things it's in putting together graphics they're all at risk as well so i think it's that's something that, to me, I think is going to be interesting to watch and how much teams might or the stations might try to do things off campus um, at their um, at their sites, and, but but still be able to um, do the broadcast and and how much that is different than what we are usually accustomed to when we just pop on the TV and, and sit on the couch for ten hours on a Saturday. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, you think about all the people that that don't get seen, you know, you got the college game day guys and, and the broadcasters, they get seen, but there's so many people behind the scenes that are covering it for the networks and, and broadcast that way. And then you've got, you know, even your local media members, you know, if you get a media pass like uh, we've had available at Bucky's fifth quarter, are you allowed to do that? Or are they going to put, you know, all of us in, in separate corners, Matt, you're going to be across the stadium and Jake's going to be on the other side and <laughs> how that's all going to work. So yeah, there's, there's so many layers of this, you know, college football season and, and it's going to be different in some way and how that all plays out is going to be fascinating to watch. I think that was a good uh, question to kind of wrap up our conversation on uh, how, you know, things will, will be impacted. These are all questions that we've got. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have a lot of questions as well. Uh, so let us know kind of what's on your mind in terms of the college football season. No question at, at this point is a, is a bad question because we don't know, and it's still something that we are trying to figure out. Um, all right, Matt, you got anything else? Otherwise, we'll uh, wrap it up, and we'll be back with the guys later in the week. Uh, speaking of questions, if you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, throw them into our comment section on our on our post or throw it in like a five-star review and ask a question on that. We'll definitely get to your questions. We like answering them. We like, uh, like you said last uh, podcast, that we like to have that interaction and we want to be able to uh, get to your questions and hit on the things that you are interested in. So make us make it aware to us and we will definitely get to it. So thank you. Thanks again for listening. That's a great way to put it. With that, we'll leave you guys, and we'll be back with you later in the week on Wisconsin.